Welcome to Main Menu for October 17th, 2009. I'm Jamie Pauls, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. This week, we visit with Stephen Baum, and we take an in-depth look at version 12 of K1000, the popular OCR program scheduled for release on October 15th, 2009. Besides discussing the new features in K1000, Stephen will give us his thoughts on K1000 for the Mac. You don't want to miss that. So stay tuned for this edition of Main Menu. Before we get to our interview with Stephen, we have a short technology roundup this week. Around October 1st, ACB Radio and its website were offline for several days due to some serious technical issues. ACB Radio Managing Director Larry Turnbull and the ACB Radio team have brought most of ACB Radio back online, but you may still experience some issues such as not being able to download or stream archives of programs such as this one. Please bear with us as we continue to bring ACB Radio fully online once more. On October 9, 2009, Serotech announced a third-party iPhone application specifically designed for those who are blind or have low vision. iBlink Radio, spelled lowercase i, capital B-L-I-N-K, all one word, allows people to listen to podcasts, radio stations, and reading services produced by and for the blind community. Available daily newspapers include USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times. For more information, visit www.serotek.com forward slash E-Y-E-B-L-I-N-K. And it's important to remember that iBlink is lowercase i, uppercase B-L-I-N-K, all one word, but the website is serotech.com forward slash E-Y-E-B-L-I-N-K. Finally, coming up on next week's edition of Main Menu, we have a demonstration of the newest generation of the iPod Touch, complete with Apple's voiceover screen reader built in. This demonstration was produced by Darcy Bernard and Holly Anderson for airing on their popular Screenless Switchers podcast and also on Main Menu. Our thanks to Darcy and Holly for a review I'm sure you will enjoy. Before we get to our main feature, here is how you can get in touch with us at Main Menu. We, the Main Menu team, would love to hear from you, the listener. To leave feedback, send an email to mainmenu at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu at acbradio.org. If you would like to correspond with other Main Menu listeners, join our Main Menu discussion list by sending a blank message to mainmenu-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. If you would simply like to receive announcements of upcoming ACB programming without interacting with other users, send a blank message to announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. To find 
out about upcoming ACB programming on Twitter, visit twitter.com slash acbradio. To follow me on Twitter, visit twitter.com slash jamiepauls. That's twitter.com slash j-a-m-i-e-p-a-u-l-s. To subscribe to our Main Menu podcast, visit http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org slash rss.php. Well, this week we're visiting on Main Menu with Stephen Baum, who is Vice President of Engineering at Cambian Learning Technologies or Kurzweil Educational Systems. And Steve, the last time you were on Main Menu, you actually weren't on Main Menu, if you'll recall. Uh, I believe it was Paul Hendrickson, and I forget who else was on with Jeff and Daryl, and I was on the panel, and we talked about Kurzweil version 11, and oh, you tried okay. to call in, and you were the last caller, and we didn't get you on the show. And when we when we went off the air, we realized it was you that had called. So. Yeah, that sounds familiar, yes. That's kind of a funny memory for me, but yeah, I was pleased to be able to be a part of... Uh, of that panel. Well, we are now ready for version 12. How long has it been since uh, version 11 came out? Frankly, a long time. Um, we used to do releases every year as the product matured, and you know, no one would argue that it isn't a mature product at this point. Uh, we moved more to, a, in theory, I think, we were moving towards about a two-year cycle. And uh, frankly, it's been more like three this time around. I hope to be in a more regular sort of two-year cycle in the future. But um, what got us caught besides various company organization changes was the fact that we moved from um, a very old technology platform, which we had been developing on ever since the mid-90s to uh, .NET. So that required a lot of work, and that work was done for the Kurzweil 3000 first, and then it was Kurzweil 1000's turn, and um, has made the release cycle longer than it would otherwise be. Because if all we did was go to .NET, basically we would announce a product that was exactly like the original product, and it wouldn't excite anybody. Um, but it takes a lot of time and effort just to do that. And at that point, you start the regular task of actually adding things that people might be interested in in having. And looking at the release notes, there's a lot that you guys have added. Um, I guess we can start with probably the one thing that most people are going to ask the most often, and that is how has scanning or recognition actually changed in this new version? Yeah, scanning itself, I think, is... Pretty, pretty much exactly the same. Recognition, the main thing is that we are now, uh, we have updated both of the OCR engines. We are at ScanSoft version 16.2 and at FineReader version 9. Basically, we're at the latest OEM release of both of those technologies. What happens um, with OCR vendors, since they produce, they make money in two ways with their technologies. One is to collect royalty payments from people like us who use their technologies for um, other products. And the other, of course, is their own retail products. Uh, in the case of Nuance, it is OmniPage. That's where we get the OCR engine that we call ScanSoft. And in the case of Abby, uh, the technology is FineReader, and so is the name of their commercial product. 
in order to to essentially protect their commercial products, they will come out with a new version of their OCR technology embedded in their commercial products and generally give those products almost, I would say, nine months to a year head start in the marketplace before releasing the same technology base to people like us. So even though there is now, I think, um, an announcement for Fine Reader version 10, we won't see version 10 technology for quite a while. We're at version 9, and that is the most up-to-date thing we can have, is 9 and uh, ScanSoft or OmniPage 16.2. Very good. Wow. And I think I've read on, on the list something about you know some, some vastly improved, or that was one person's opinion, um, recognition in this latest version. <laughs> Right, and to be honest, we rely on you know our our beta testers to tell us what they think of the recognition. We have our own test suites, and they do show improvements um, but what really matters is what it does for your own documents and indeed, we've been pleasantly surprised in general, there are a lot of things that are quite a bit better um, scansoft's o c r for PDFs, for example, is uh, shows dramatic improvements, primarily in speed. It just it whips through PDF files really very, very quickly. Uh, so that's kind of impressive. Um, Fine Reader, in general, I still find to be a very robust and very solid OCR engine that does a lot of things right, particularly with regard to um, things like table recognition. is is I think better in uh, fine reader than it has ever been and remains better than Scansoft's. Um, Scansoft, on the other hand, remains very good at things like um, fractions and subscripts and superscripts and you know somewhat more um, specialized typography that you might see in things like a cookbook. Now, as a user, I probably should know the answer to this question, but does the software automatically... Uh, look, look at the page and decide which uh, engine to use? It does not, although there is a feature that you can turn on to do more or less that for any one particular page. And the feature is, um, well, it's, it's basically optimized recognition. Right. If you choose to optimize recognition, you can have it choose which of the engines. I will say, though, that our ability to automatically know which is better uh, is only as good, let's say, as our as our dictionaries, and only as good as our ability to, to um, decide what's what's right and what isn't right, which is not perfect. Sure. In many respects, it's always better to sort of read things yourself, but it can be useful, particularly if you're in a hurry. And that does help, and I I have used that um, optimized feature. That that does work. How how mm -hmm. has um, currency scanning changed? Or currency recognition. Well, mainly, I keep using the wrong term there, but that's all right. Um, currency recognition has been entirely redone for um, from U.S. currency, and the principal reason for that is um, you're, it's it's a little bit like a arms race. The the uh, the government, in an attempt to prevent counterfeiting does more and more things and makes more and more new releases of currency. And one of the things they did was to make currency difficult 
to scan, um, particularly in black and white, because each scanner's image of a particular bill would look quite different um, depending upon exactly how it was thresholding to black and white. And that was essentially breaking our ability to recognize currency. So we moved to a low-resolution color scan and um, redid the algorithm in general and scanned all the new currency uh, to create a template database. And so although it is... Um, yeah, it, it now works reasonably well, and I hope as new bills come out that I can keep it up to date. I wasn't able to do so before because the black and white technology made it essentially impossible to recognize some of the new bills. Right. Very good. That's a good explanation because I've been having some problems with that, and I was not sure what was going on, so that's an excellent explanation there. Mm -hmm. um, has there been any changes with the voices that ship with the, the product? Uh that's a tricky question, it turns out, because we do have a new release of NeoSpeech, and I will say, you know, this is one of those things. People who live with a voice will probably can probably tell it's different. Since I only listen to it while I'm at work, um, it basically sounds exactly the same as the old release to me. Um, it is technically a new release. It is technically updated. Um, it does not, in, but we do not include any new voices. There is one new voice from uh, NeoSpeech, which some people like quite a bit. It's uh, another woman's voice. Right. Um, but that was uh, that would have cost us money, and basically we weren't uh, we weren't ready to add one more voice uh, this time around. Maybe sometime in the future. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing that makes this a tricky question is that the NeoSpeech CDs are released separately from the standard. They're, they're on a separate CD, and I'm not entirely sure when they're going to cut in the latest revision. Okay. Uh, it may or may not be at this product release. It may be a little bit later when they run out of them. I'm not sure. Right. Okay. Very good. Um, forms recognition. I know that was a kind of a work in progress, uh, kind of a, I don't know if the proof of concept is the right term, but I know it was yeah. the beginning stages in version 11. How's that come along? It was the beginning stages. Uh, what I had hoped to do and didn't do, I, I was what I was thinking of doing was adding a whole new user interface piece that would allow someone, ideally someone with some vision, to essentially correct a form so that they could see an image of the screen and see imposed on that in a different color the different for, form boxes that had been found. And they could delete form boxes, they could change them, they could create new ones, and they could change their properties if they wanted to. That was the theory. I never actually did it. And so it remains a work in progress for a subsequent release. The one thing that did happen is that the form recognition itself has been upgraded because, of course, we went to the latest release of the OCR engine. And the main thing that I'm noticing is it is much, much better at identifying all of the text on the form. For some reason, in the previous release, when you did form recognition, it would drop out text, particularly text that was in a form box. And now that text uh, is present and accounted for. So there are changes. Hopefully people will find it somewhat better, but it is not, in fact, what I really wanted to do this time around. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. 
There's a ton of things mentioned in the release notes. Why don't you just go through and hit what you feel are the really the highlights besides what we, we've already covered? Okay. Uh, one of them, which actually still isn't done yet, but we hope to release probably about a month after the main product release, is that you can get this product as a USB version. So you can get Kurzweil 1000 on um, on a thumb drive, and that version has a little to no install. And I say it, you can use it with no install, but if you want features like uh, the virtual printer, there is a small install that you need to get access to certain features. However, for the most part, you can simply plug it in on the system of your choice and um, use Kurzweil 1000 essentially without any install and use it on any machine that it uh, supports. The one downside is that the people who make the technology that allows for that don't have Windows 7 yet. So uh, it, the, the USB version will not have Windows 7 support, but other than that, it is a version 12 Kurzweil 1000 available on a USB. And to mention something quickly about pricing, um, in general, I guess we usually announce this at the end, but the price is the same, i.e. you can upgrade from any release of Kurzweil 1000 to the latest release for $125, I think. And you can, if you wish, upgrade to a USB version. And I believe there may be an additional up to $30 charge for that, but it isn't huge. Sure. It just covers the cost of the of the 4 gigabyte USB drive. Um, the uh, A couple other sort of things that are worth pointing out, um, 64-bit operating system support is there. You're essentially running in a compatibility mode for most things, but it will work. There were a few things that didn't work in version 11 in 64-bit. All that has been worked out, and it all works. Um, And for the main product, not the USB version, but the main product, System 7 has been tested, including 64-bit System 7. So all of that is up and running. Here are some new things that I think are somewhat interesting. And they're kind of listed by order of who might find them interesting. I would think for trainers or for resellers or for agencies, the new user wizard is a big deal. For existing customers, it may not be a big deal. But um, to describe it, essentially the new user wizard is when you first install the product and run it, it will come up inside of something called the new user wizard, which gives you a number of choices of topics that you might want to read about. And um, those topics are in a checkbox, a a checked list box. So it's a list box where you can check or uncheck things. As you read things, they are automatically checked. Um, in addition to simply being able to read a document to you, which isn't necessarily all that exciting, if it's a document that we think you maybe should practice with, it will um, let you interact with the product in a kind of limited fashion. So, for example, there is a topic that talks about how to uh, use the file open dialog. 
And at the end of it, it gives you the opportunity to use the file open dialog without actually opening files, but simply going through it and perusing it and getting a little bit of additional help doing it. The basic idea for the new user wizard is, although we have great online documentation, we realize not everyone is going to sit down and actually read a manual. Um, and we also have certain features that are really good for certain types of users, but those users are never going to find the feature. Um, a, a classic example of that is the auto-load feature, which is buried in the configuration settings dialog. And it's a really good feature for people who actually don't want to know much about files and folders. They simply want to use the product. So in many respects, it's clearly a great feature for um, relatively for people who are relatively new to personal computers, and yet the feature was so buried it was very difficult to find. Well, now there's a section in the new user wizard that talks about that feature and lets you turn it on automatically if you would like to. So it makes it easier to get access to those sorts of things, and I realize also that not everybody gets gets training. So this is a way to to get past that. At any rate, there's a lot of topics, and we'll probably add more over time, but it's a fairly good introduction to the product in a series of relatively bite-sized pieces. Okay. Um, so for existing customers, um, obviously updated OCR is always a big deal, and we've already discussed that. But there are a couple other things I think they would like. Um, for example, if there are uh, people who open a lot of PDF files, they might be pleased by the fact that if the PDF file has bookmarks, we will now automatically create those bookmarks in the file after you've opened it. Because, mm. of course, as you know, when you open the file, you're recognizing it. You're going to end up with a Kessie file, but that Kessie file will now automatically have the bookmarks from the PDF document, and that's very helpful. Yeah. Another thing, of course, if you have a long PDF file, um, you basically had only a few options in the previous release. You could sort of sit back and let it recognize everything, or you could read while it recognized, but you couldn't do anything else really. If you quit, you, were, you, you would end up with a half-recognized file and no obvious way to continue it or do something. You can now, for a long PDF file, choose a range of pages that you want to recognize, or you can let it recognize the whole thing if you'd like and interrupt it at any point. And if you save the Kessie file but keep the PDF file, when you open the Kessie file again, you can resume recognition of the PDF file. It'll know where it was and what pages it has left to do. Very nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a handy feature. Um, there are also a number of improvements for audio. Um, so for people who create audio files, there's a bunch of things that are different. Uh, for people who, who um, want a little more control over their audio files, you can now select the bit rate. You can now choose uh, the sample rate. Those sorts of things are now selectable. For people who did not have an MP3 encoder on their system, which is increasingly true because Microsoft no longer includes it in their new operating systems, you can download one from us, and that's a fairly simple and automatic process when you try to create an MP3 file. 
will say, you don't have an encoder. Would you like one? And uh, we'll provide access to one relatively straightforwardly from, uh, from us. The reason, by the way, it has to be a download is we get charged a royalty fee for each of those downloads. So as a consequence, we didn't want to just make it automatically in every version of every product um, because 90% of the, um, of the user base already has one. Right. So no point for our, uh, in doing it any other way. We can also support more up-to-date lame encoders if that happens to be the to be what you're doing. Very subtle, but if you created a MP3 file or an audio file using Kurzweil 1000, um, tables would not be spoken in the way that you would necess- you would be accustomed to if you have table reading enabled. Which a lot, which basically announces upfront that you're in a table, how many columns and how many rows there are, and switches voices and announces things as it goes along. It now does that when creating the MP3 file as well. That's kind of you know a minor subtle feature, but it's it's um, for some people it was important. Uh, um, we added a while ago the ability to play mp3 files and of course also the ability to have bookmarks and notes associated with audio files and that immediately of course got people saying well why can't you just export those as daisy audio files now we can so if you open an mp3 file um, and it has book and you've add bookmarks you can choose to save the mp3 file as an audio daisy document and that way of course your bookmarks are there regardless of what you use to play the file so minor feature again but kind of fun there were a couple relatively minor changes to the plane of an audio file and uh, one is that you can use Shift plus F1 to report your position in that file, how many seconds have been read and how many seconds remain. And the rewind and forward keys have been changed a little bit to move instead of by 15 seconds by 5 seconds at someone's request. And also the left and right arrow keys also will activate rewind and forward, which makes it relatively easy to control an audio file with one hand. So that's some of the audio improvements. The pronunciation feature required another CD for us because it's big and it's a completely optional install, but what you're installing is compressed audio files that are recordings of a human being saying every word in the American Heritage Dictionary. But that was a fun job for somebody. Boy, I I can't, you know, the one thing I will say is I play them and you hear these people saying the words and you can just tell how bored they are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because this was not fun. But nonetheless, um, someone did it and it was someone who knew how to pronounce each one of those words. And I presume if they didn't know it, they uh, got some advice up front. And um, as a consequence, in the dictionary dialogue, you can hear the pronunciation of the word, which, of course, is not necessarily the same as how a uh, text-to-speech engine is going to pronounce it. Yeah. So um, once in a while, if it's a difficult word, you will find that um, some difference, and that may be uh, important to you. Um, There are people who use Kurzweil 1000 to learn English, 
wow. or to become better at learning English. And as a consequence, uh, a feature like that is really quite useful. Yeah. And it was, in fact, suggested uh, by a user from the Middle East. So um, that's a fun one. And another one that's kind of entertaining um, was suggested by one of our beta testers years ago, and I finally got around to doing it and really like the effect, which is we're very bookmark-oriented in Kurzweil 1000. It's one of the strengths of the product is the ability to create bookmarks. And now in the Kurzweil 1000 open dialog, if you have selected a file, if you press right arrow, you will suddenly be in a list, a tree view list of bookmarks for that file. So without opening a document at all, you can look at its bookmarks Very nice. and go through them one by one. And when you get to a bookmark that's interesting to you, you might hit enter and it will open the file at that bookmark. So um, that's actually a very nice way to sort of figure out. It, it gives you a lot more than just the file name to figure out exactly what the contents of that file are without actually opening the file. Yeah, So great. So um, that one's fun. Um, another one that I think is kind of a, a nice, fun feature is a text translation feature. And this is in the online uh, menu. And basically, it's doing what everybody else does who has features like this. It's using Google. Um, there's a Google translation uh, feature. And we are going online and sending, uh, having it translate a block of text of your choice to whatever language you might want it to translate to, and then reading it with the appropriate voice. And I believe we've got it set up so it will only translate to those languages that you have a voice for. Great. So that's kind of an entertaining feature. Uh, let's see. If a customer is low vision or if a sighted operator is using Kurzweil 1000 to create KES documents, which I know happens in certain schools for the blind, for example, there is a feature whereby you can um, get a split screen display. And part of the screen will be the image of the page. Part of the screen will be the text of the page. The two views are kept in sync. And it becomes, for a sighted user, a very easy way of correcting a document. For a um, low vision user, it simply becomes one more interesting mode in which to run the product. And uh, in the past, you could not do things in image view, like go from one page to another, um, or read continuously from one page to another, and now you can. You can go to page, you can do things like that. So for people who like the image view and its magnification and other things, you can do more with that than you were able to do in the past. Um, now here's a feature that really requires a little bit of explanation. It's not trivial. Um, which is there is now a separate utility that we include in the product that has a very spare, very simple, uh, I think, two-dialogue user interface. does not speak. It's actually the, one of the first non-diagnostic utilities we've provided that doesn't speak at all, largely because it's designed to be run um, through Windows Explorer. And 
what we mean by that goes as follows. Suppose you um, have a collection of PDF documents or one PDF document or other kinds of image documents, TIFF or JPEG, uh, and you want to recognize it, them or it. In a file, dot, you can in Windows Explorer, if you are positioned on a folder, you are given an option to run either automatically or interactively uh, the Kurzweil OCR utility, which will find the files in that folder that are images and create files with the same name but a different format. That format might be RTF, it might be DOC, it might be, you know, there's a variety of choices. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the interactive approach lets you set what the output format should be, what the output file should be named, where that output file should go, um, and also essentially allows you to set various defaults, including what OCR engine you're using, what languages are being recognized, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, there are two reasons for the existence of this program. Um, one is it's simply very fast and very convenient way to get OCR quickly. But the other way is a little hard to explain. Um, it has to do with the fact that Kurzweil 1000 tries to make a recognized page available for speaking and editing as soon as possible. And consequently, it's using page-oriented recognition. You get an image of a page. We tell an OCR engine, hey, we've got a document for you. It recognizes the page. We get the recognition results, and we throw them into our editor. Um, OCR vendors are increasingly adding features that are not page-oriented but are document-oriented. And I'll give you a couple examples. One, let's say you have a multi-core processor on your system. So you have a dual-core processor, four cores. Um, Nowadays, the OCR engine can make use of different cores, but only if it can send different pages at the same time to those different cores. So if you give us a multi-page image document and use use this OCR utility, we will have recognition taking place on multiple cores at the same time. And this speeds up recognition by, according to the vendors, roughly about 30-40%. And, you know, I definitely see the speed increase. Yeah. So this is definitely a faster way to recognize a PDF file. The other thing is a little more subtle, and that is that things like assigning fonts to um, the output file or segmenting a page or formatting in general can be improved if the OCR technology is told that these are all pages in one document and this is the sequence of those pages. Uh, You can imagine, for example, that if each page is considered as a separate document, you'll have more fonts in the end than if you tell the OCR engine that this is just one document with lots of pages. Um, because it's going to do what it can to reduce the number of fonts over the entire document. So there are subtle things like that that just will work better if you can do multiple pages at once. 
Um, so this is just a, a whole other way to use OCR technology inside of Curzol 1000. And it still gives you access to a lot of things. One thing that's actually kind of amusing about it is one of the things it cannot do is create a KES file. <laughs> just can't do it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've been thinking about ways in which I could ultimately get to there, but uh, it compromises the ability of doing multi-page recognition, so it's a little bit tricky. Uh, you can, of course, create um, RTF and um, open that, and that's pretty much like opening a KESI file, so it's not particularly troublesome that that feature isn't there. So that's one I actually like a lot. I think it happens to be a really nice feature. If there's one thing I've learned about Curzol 1000 and its customer base over the years is that I'm always surprised with each release what people end up liking. There's always some favorite feature that I think of as being a really minor thing that someone decides was great. Reference tools, I, I didn't mention that we now have anagrams. Oh, yeah. Not, in my opinion, a big deal, but there it is. Yeah. Um, it, that's there, and it's kind of fun. This is actually a bug fix, but it was a bug that was particularly annoying. Um, particularly if you opened certain PDF files and you kept images, you would find your f resulting KES file was huge. In fact, sometimes it could be, you know, many, many megabytes or even a gigabyte in size and slow your system down to a crawl every time you tried to open it. The reason was that sometimes the image for each page would end up being uncompressed, either uncompressed grayscale or uncompressed uh, color. And as a consequence, really big, m many, many megabytes per page. And um, we finally figured that out and fixed it, and I'm glad the fix is there. Um, search and replace. This is truly one of the geekier features I've added, but you, there is now a regular expression processor in there. So as a consequence, one of your options in search and replace is to indicate that what you want to enter is not a regular string, but rather is what's called a regular expression. A regular expression is, is really kind of an old, but still very, very powerful approach to doing things like, um, oh, for example, I could create a regular expression that will search for telephone numbers. Um, I could create a regular expression that would search for, um, oh, how about a, a capital letter in the middle of a word as long as the first two characters are not capital MC. So you can do all sorts of interesting things with regular expressions, but they're not easy to learn how to use. And uh, the manual doesn't do a lot to help you there. Um, but there are some very common ones that are, in fact, very useful for, um, for checking up on, on a document and doing all sorts of specialized things with the document. Um, there is a change to the corrections and pronunciations feature in that you can now specify multiple words that should be corrected, not just single words. Okay. And 
the main um, reason that you might want to do that is, for example, you might have a French phrase that comes up frequently and is horribly mispronounced, and it drives you crazy. Um, but you don't want to correct it as a single word. You want to correct it as two words. Now you can do that. Wow. So that's occasionally handy. Yeah. Um, finally, there's, a, there's another thing which is actually quite powerful, um, which is the in the send to dialogue, you can now define a device that you want to send documents to. And I actually haven't looked at that in so long that I'm frankly going to have to run the product to uh, remember exactly what the properties are for that. So the main change to that dialogue is it has a new button. And if I press the new button, it allows me to establish the name for the device, then the formats that that device can support like Braille Grade 2 or DAISY or DAISY 2.02 or Microsoft Word or even PESI, um, RTF, text, you know, whatever formats it can, it can support. No formats have been selected. And then a default format. The default format is the format that we will automatically convert a document to if it is not in one of the supported formats. So we'll automatically do that conversion when you do the send. Okay. Next is the drive, no the drive letter. The, this particular feature will only work for devices that imitate drives. And luckily, that's pretty much what every new device does. Um, you plug it in. Typically, it's a USB pl plug-in, and it magically becomes a particular drive number. In this case, though, you can't always tell what drive number it's going to be. So one of the options for this setting is you can put in a question mark, which indicates that we have to figure out what drive it is at the time we do the send. So if you do that, then the next... Um, control allows you to specify a unique file or folder name that we will find on that drive, but which we won't find on any other drive. And that's the technique we use in order to find the particular drive to send the file to. Um, then you specify the folder you want to, uh, you want to send things to, and uh, also whether or not a new folder should be created based on the file name for each type of file. I should say, if what you're sending is Daisy Audio, it will do that automatically anyway, because Daisy Audio pretty much has to be in its own folder. Um, anyway, having done this, I can, with Kurzweil 1000, provide a fairly easy way to transmit files to a portable device, um, even if that we haven't built in support for that portable device. And a very good example of that would be a Victor Stream. And one of the things that's complicated about a Victor Stream is you use different destination folders depending upon what format you are going to support. So to support a Victor Stream in Kurzweil 1000 with this feature, you would probably create two different destination devices, one of them for Audio Daisy and another one for uh, Text Daisy, for example. Uh -huh. 
And so having done that, those would automatically go to the right folder when you used the send to feature to get the file to those that particular address. Cancel. Okay. Um, let's see. I think that's it for what I'm calling relatively major features. Very quickly, a few minor things, um, and they're pretty minor. Um, the K1000 style file dialog did not show hidden files or folders. Now it does depending upon your um, setting in Windows Explorer. If you choose to show hidden files and system files, we'll show them too. If you choose not to, we won't. Um, zip files, there was a funny issue with password protected zip files in that for example, if you had a DAISY document in a password-protected zip file, which is what you'd have if you download from Bookshare, um, every opening that file, that file from, from the zip file perspective, it's opening several files. And each one of them, you had to specify the password, which is really a pain in the neck. Now you only have to specify it once. We're smart enough to figure out you've, the, the rest of them are from the same folder. And we'll do the right thing. Um, along, so, somewhere along the line, because someone asked for it, we made it possible in the ranked spelling dialog to copy all the spelling words to the clipboard with Control plus C for copy, and then you can paste that anywhere you want. Now we do that, we generalize that, and you can now do that for, I think, pretty much all list view or tree view controls in the product. Exactly why you'd want to, I don't know, but there you go. Right. It's there. Uh, table recognition has now been separated from table reading. And the reason for that is that sometimes you want to turn off table uh, recognition altogether, which, um, and that, that is not the same thing as turning off table reading. Um, so we, we made those two different settings. One is in the recognition dialog, the other is in the reading dialog. Not a huge thing, but it's there. Um, and the way to use find and replace when you are not using it globally, but just one time at a, one at a time approach has changed and it's my attempt to make it work better. Um, and we'll see if it works better or not, but it's, it, people will find that the usage pattern is somewhat different. And it's simply because I sort of thought it through again and realized I couldn't do it the way the way I had done it simply didn't work quite well enough. Mm -hmm. So it's that's been hopefully improved some. Anyway, I think that's where we are for version 12. And what is, um, what is the expected ship date for, for that? The regular version will start shipping in a week. So um, next Thursday is our official ship date, and hopefully we will make that date. Um, I believe, oddly enough, we're behind that uh, in, for trial CDs. I don't think we'll have trial CDs right away. And um, in theory, one month later, um, so now five and a half weeks later, we will have the USB version. Great. You know, there's been a little bit of talk, or maybe not so much a little bit anymore. Um, Mac users have been talking about, is there ever going to be a 
version of the product ported to the Mac. Not asking you for a definite answer on that, but as a developer, what do you look at when you consider something like that? Um, you know, everything depends on market size, of course. I mean, the, the, the thing about software is software is expensive to develop, but it's almost, it's incredibly cheap to reproduce. Um, you know, you have certain royalty payments and you have the cost of CDs and paper and shipping, but all of that amounts to relatively little compared to um, the development cost. So if you're making a product for um, 100 people, it's going to cost ultimately 10 times as much as if you make it for 1,000 people. Sure. Um, the and, and so, again, uh, really in many respects, the major issue is I think we would have to be convinced that it's worth the expense. The nature of the way Kurzweil 1000 is developed, it wasn't really developed to be ported to other environments. And so, in many respects, it would be a rewrite. It would be, let's start over again and write this from scratch. Um, we did that, for example, with Kurzweil 3000 for the Macintosh largely because, particularly in the elementary school market, there's a huge number of Macintoshes out there in education. So it was done for the 3,000. Um, and to be, you know, it's, it's not clear to me that we would, we would make money or even break even doing it for the Kurzweil 1,000. Right. Um, there are, of course, other options, although people don't like to hear about those options, such as, you know, you can use Mac hardware running um, PC software, and that has been tested and works quite nicely. Um, the other downside, by the way, and if I'm wrong about this, I'd love to be corrected, but it, the last time I looked, this was really the case, is that, um, is that scanner support on the Mac is terrible. Uh, there aren't that many scanners that work on the Mac, and those that do aren't very accessible. Wow. Um, it just isn't a, a great situation. And it's kind of ironic because scanners used to be way better on the Mac than on the PC many years ago. But that was a lot of years ago, and it just, um, I think Apple did a major misstep a long time ago in that they, as a hardware company, came out with their own scanner. And at that point, an awful lot of scanner vendors basically said, well, fine, they're going to treat everything else as a second-class citizen, and we will stop making scanners for the Macintosh. Hmm. Now, that was a long time ago, and you would think that they'd recovered by now, but, um, but I, I still see an awful lot of situations where you just can't get a decent scanner on the Macintosh. That's interesting, and that's good to know. Yeah. And as you say, if that's has changed, I'm sure the Mac community will, or the you know, will ha be happy to to debate right. that. Right, they'll be happy to correct me, absolutely. and I and I could be wrong. Sure. And if, you know, um, it's it's very possible that I am wrong, but that's sort of sort of where we are. Um, let's see. I guess the other thing I should say is, in general, we remain very serious about um, about features and about feedback from customers. And much of what we do in each release is a result of feedback. Mm -hmm. I do have a list already of features that people asked for that I did not get to. Um, and, you know, I apologize in advance for that. I um, unfortunately have 
unfortunately, just don't have all the time in the world to do this. I wish I'd had more time. And you have to freeze the code um, somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, sooner or later, I do have to freeze the code. But uh, I'm always interested in hearing what else people might want this product to do in the future. In the future. Sure. Um, and um, I can be reached via... A good way to get to me is really into the Kurzweil 1000 user community in general is the Kurzweil 1000 listserv, yes. which is very, very active um, at times, yeah. and which I and several other people here at Kurzweil actively read and respond to. So Absolutely. we do pay attention to that list. Yeah. Um, you know, and I can also be reached directly by email. And, um, you know, and in general, interested. I will be at ATIA in Chicago um, for a day or two. I don't think I can be there on Saturday. So I think I'll just be there Thursday and part of Friday. But I'll be there, and um, I think there will be a user group meeting there, and we'll, I'll be happy to talk to anybody about the product and about things that perhaps we should be doing differently or better in the future. The other thing I should mention is it's kind of amazing, and it may be a speed record for me, but there will be a patch uh, 12.01 available next week, too. Wow. <laughs> okay. So so if people do on, uh, as soon as they install version 12, they can do an online update and get 12.01. And uh, there's a surprising number of really minor things that get fixed. Um, and they really are pretty minor, but nonetheless, there's, there's, uh, it's, it just so happens that our beta community didn't stop testing when we stopped developing. Right. <laughs> so, good for them. So they came, good for them, and they came up with a bunch of things that uh, I felt I should fix while I still remembered how to fix it. So um, because what, when you're there's a point at which you're still really, really comfortable with your code base and can fix things in a moment. And uh, uh, the last several weeks, that's kind of what I've been doing. Excellent. Well, I would like to thank you for taking the time. I think you've really given us a lot of really good information about the product, and I'm sure um, current users will be really excited, as I am. And uh, I trust that people that have maybe thought about checking out uh, K1000 and haven't done it will, uh, will give that a, a look as well. That concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of Jeff Bishop and the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week.